0: Hey, Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to A Little Better. Thank you so much for listening or watching. However, you're joining us today. We are so thrilled to have you with us. And when I say us, I mean with me and with my brother, Pastor Melvin Cross. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you, man. Thanks for jumping on. Man,
1: I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be here with my Northridge family.
0: We Uh, are getting all kinds of, we're getting all kinds of the crosses right now. Right, right. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like a a normal. I feel like this is home, you know? (laughs) I love it. Yeah, dude. Thank you for jumping in. I know that you're uh, a busy guy with lots going on, and um, I also neglected to tell you this interview was on Zoom, so I made you drive all the way to the Rochester campus before we actually could start, so totally my bad. I uh, For all of our listeners and watchers, it's harder than you think to get on a podcast with me because I don't communicate well, apparently, but <laughs> anyway. Dude, thank you so much for for preaching this weekend. It was so good to you know have you with us and have Ashley there, and you guys, you had folks with you as well tell us who you guys brought along to, to be with us on Sunday
1: yeah so a few a few GHIers a few people from Glory House came out to support mm. um, so I have like one of my my youth pastor was there with me all weekend one of my wife's assistant was there with her and then we had um, our college pastor in the congregation and one of our deacons were there one of our elders so they all just came to support to be in the place with me as I came to awesome.
0: it. so it was cool that's awesome. It's good to see a familiar face. You know, if I were, nobody ever asked me to speak at things, but if they did, I would probably want to bring a friend. <laughs> You're used to it. You got a system, man, because people actually want to hear you. <laughs> but no, we we were just honored to have you. It was great. Um, you know, on a, on a few levels, just to hear not only your wisdom in general, but your wisdom on this topic in particular. Uh, we all got some Skittles out of the deal and oh, it, those Skittles it came are together. <laughs> I love uh, a few of the services, you know, we had three services on Sunday. A few of them I watched as you were walking off stage after you prayed, you'd pop a couple in your mouth. And I was like, that's as long as he could wait. (laughs) It wasn't even off the stage yet. But anyway, um, yeah, we just want to jump in. I've got a a few questions listed here and we'll just go for it and see how the conversation goes. But um, something that I've learned about you as we've been, you know, hanging out even um, is related to your job. I think, you know, in, in my head, your full-time gig was at glory house, but that's not the way that you roll. Cause of your, he would be, it would be too confined in just one, in just one role. So tell us about your role with the city of Rochester. How long <laughs> you've been doing that? What does that look like?
1: So, yeah, other than being a pastor, a full-time pastor, I am yeah. Uh, yeah. like, I mean, you can't be a part-time pastor. It just doesn't work, but I yeah. have two full-time jobs. I am the director for, Pathways to Peace, which is a youth engagement and violent prevention organization for the city of Rochester. What that means is I am right on the front line. I work with, um, I do gang prevention. I work with gang, gang members. Um, I'm a first responder. I do hospital response. Anybody who gets shot, stabbed, or beat up, they go to the hospital. I'm one of the first people they see and they talk to. So yeah, I serve uh, not just within the church, but I definitely serve in the community on the
0: front lines. Amazing. And dude, Melvin, not only, I don't, I don't know how you get picked for a job like that, but you are a perfect fit. And I just, I feel like that puts you in such an amazing position to do what many pastors would preach and, and, and genuinely try to do with their lives, which is Mm -hmm. to engage in the community in whatever avenues or spheres or, you know, circles of influence you have. But for you, you have like a stated official your role in the community that i think is just an incredible blending of of philosophy and practicality right like you 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 don't have a choice about living out what you what you preach
1: right definitely and that's one reason why i accepted the position to do this is because i'm like hey this is just um an extension of the ministry you know, and, and, my philosophy of service and loving it and serving the least of these, this is a perfect, a perfect way, a perfect outlet to do so. And so I get to not only serve, but I also get to live my faith out and not mm. share my faith and live my faith with those I come in contact with. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Whose, uh, idea or initiative or whatever brought about Pathways to Peace?
1: So Pathways to Peace has been around for 20 years. Um, Um, and it's more of a, it started with like a community mindset, um, to, to kind of curb violence. And so most people that work for me, they are, they come from, from the backgrounds of the people we work for. Like I've got a lot of ex gang members, people who probably have been locked up. People who have that lived experience of just not living this pristine, pretty clean life. They have lived it, they've lived it, they've done it, they've been there. And so now they're reaching back to give back to our community to help prevent others from making the same mistakes that they've made. And so it's um, community driven, community connections, very relation, heavy on relational building. Um, so and it's in a lot of cities across the nation have some level of street outreach, violence prevention organization to kind of couple or partner with, you know, official policing. Okay.
0: And then you work directly with the mayor's office or kind of who's your supervisor in that Yep, I
1: work with, so I work with the mayor's office and I'm a part of the department of human of recreation and human sort Resources. resources. So we deal with parks, recreation, um, the rec centers, all of that stuff. Um, And I also work very, very closely with RPD. Okay. So when RPD don't want to step on the scene or they feel like, you know, that they can be thinking things can be de-escalated. They call me. So I go on the scene, I have conversations like, yo, we don't want five O to come here. So let's figure this out now. Let's, you know, let's do some mediation. Let's get out of the way and let's, let's figure this out.
0: Wow. Dude, blessed are the peacemakers. This is, <laughs> this is unbelievable. What a, what an opportunity. So thank you. I want to say thank you for me and from, you know, our church and our community. This is, you know, a very genuinely significant and important, um, outworking of what I think a Christian worldview ought to produce, which is peace. And so what's, I think amazing about this, and I don't want to get stuck on this because we could talk about it all day. I just really think it helps our church understand you in context. I think it this being a believer, like your position being filled by a believer, I think is so, it makes a, it makes a ton of sense. And B. I, I wouldn't want it any other way. Like I would want someone who's coming at this from the perspective that God is a bringer of peace and wants to see reconciliation. And it's this really interesting blend between um, you know working for and with the local government and police department, but then Mm -hmm. also being for and with the local community, even when those are at odds, you have to step into the middle. And Christians should, I think, probably often find themselves between a rock and a hard place, recognizing I'm neither, I'm neither one of these things, but I have to find a bridge between them.
1: Definitely. And I love it. I love being in between that rock and hard place to just really, you know, figure out a way to engage um, on where they are, incorporate my faith mm-hmm. and uh, to be able to serve serve this community. And they and once they find out I'm a pastor, that's just a plus. They're like, oh, you're mm-hmm. a pastor. Yeah, I'm a yeah. pastor, too. And I just happen to be out here looking out for you. And yeah. that's just a whole another opportunity just to share share my faith. Amazing.
0: Amazing. Thank you for that service. And and I just want to say, we'll jump in. This kind of leads me to a different question that I was going to ask much later, but I feel like it makes sense now. You talked about, um, you and Drew both mentioned having lots of conversations during 2020. You know, you and I have gotten a chance to hang out. Uh, at least one time we got to, you got to come to our place. We had a little Panera bread for lunch, <laughs> but um, you, we talked about uncomfort- uncomfortable conversations. And obviously that's not the only thing that anybody ever talks about, but you said, something to the effect of don't don't miss the opportunity for growth that comes through a hard conversation just because it's uncomfortable. Now, you said it way better than that, but that was the gist. And I just wanted to ask, like, for you, what do uncomfortable conversations look like? Who are you having those with? I would imagine your job, this is why I'm bringing it up now. It basically puts you in the crosshairs of uncomfortable conversations, like every day, (laughs) between the mayor's office or the police department or even your own people that you serve in your church. So talk to me about that. Yeah, so
1: I, I I've learned to embrace uncomfortable conversations because I have them more often than not. And just a little, you know, disclaimer: I am not, not that confrontational guy. My natural demeanor is just very welcoming. Let's let's just chill. Let's figure it out. But I've learned to discipline myself to engage in those difficult and those hard conversations. So hard conversations with I'll start with work with my work or my not pastoral work um i cannot count uh, on one on both of my hands how many people i've had to speak to about you know their loved ones being killed right that's a difficult conversation like nobody wants to go and be like hey so your son is dead you know what i mean so i have to really figure out a way and then prepare myself brace myself for their for their response or for their reaction to that that's a difficult conversation um another difficult conversation is i have with police officers hey You might want to consider another way to approach the community. You know, we appreciate your service, but it just might not be working in that way. That happened to me. The last one I had to have like that was two days before Christmas, Um, and it was a hard conversation with the police officer. Um, It was a mental health situation um, on my street, and so I went out, introduced myself, and things were just getting escalated. So afterwards, I put him aside and said, hey, let's consider this. We, we already know the history. We already know the past, especially in our traumatized communities. It doesn't always end this way. So you might want, let's consider this approach or, you know, Hey, I'm always available to, to assist in that, you know, and in those moments they might not always want to hear that. And, but those are conversations that need to be had um, from a ministerial perspective, you know, as a pastor, you know, it is my heart and desire to see people grow in their faith to grow and wisdom, knowledge and understanding of, of Jesus. And so when people's lifestyles or decisions um, aren't looking are not aren't, aren't promoting that, I have to have those hard conversations. And so these hard conversations are not just not just relegated to race, you know, 100%. even though that's you know, that's that's a part of it. But it you know, we have hard conversations with people we love. And if like I said, if we always avoid hard conversations due to comfort, they'll never learn lessons and we'll never learn the lessons that are necessary. Yeah. So hard conversations across the board, across the scale.
0: Yeah. And, and what I love about the conversation is that all the ones that you just mentioned, because I think it could be missed on Sunday. Someone could walk away saying hard conversations equals transracial conversations. You know, that just means if I'm talking to a black person, it's a hard conversation automatically or something, but that's not true because there are what makes a conversation difficult is a difference of perspective or opinion. And obviously we can have difference of perspective inside of race Or regardless of race, you know, that's the, the, but what makes, what can, when it comes to these issues of race um, and inequity or disparity or, you know, any of these uh, discrimination is that what, what the, the difference in race creates is different lived experiences. And so as a result of that, the data that I bring to the conversation is different than the data you bring to the conversation, not just because we've read different books, but because we've lived different things and that creates the friction.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, as a black, as a black man, I have hard conversations with black people, you know, I have to say, yo, everybody, you know, every white person is not racist. And they will have their will butt. And just like, and so some white people have to have some conversations with other white people. You know, mm-hmm. we have to have these conversations within our own communities and across community community as well.
0: Wow, yeah. yeah, and so I a phrase that I picked up on you using throughout the message that I thought is both helpful but could probably use further exploration is you talked about you know you made the joke here's a big secret you know I'm a black man <laughs> which I thought was so funny uh, people people engage with that for sure but then you said you know that means I have different lived experiences you know I've my life has looked different than someone else's even like let's I'm trying to remember you grew up. Uh, Rush Henrietta School District, is yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so even somebody else who lived in Rush Henrietta, right? It's not just about where you grew up, but what right. what skin you were wearing as you were growing up, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So lived experience. Talk to me about the importance of that um, and why that's so significant. And then I want to kind of go to the other side and say, is there a way that we can, you know, overemphasize it or whatever? So jump in. Just tell me about the importance of lived experience.
1: So the important. I think I said a little bit of it on Sunday from the from the, from the stage. Is our lived experience, it informs us on the way we relate to God and on the way we relate to others. Yes. Um, so um, and our lived experience also, it, it kind of shapes and crafts our perspective on the world. It shapes and crafts our perspective on laws, on policy, on family, on, on, on thing, various things, on various levels. And so that lived experience is important because this is what we bring to the table and it's a part of who we are. Um, it's, it's a huge part of who we are. Um, yeah. and So it, and it also determines how we relate, how we communicate, um, how we respond. And so this is something that we cannot um, deny or even put on the fringe of our lives. It is a part of who we are. And, and in essence, our lived experience is a part of our presentation.
0: Yeah. And
1: so it's very, very important. The, the reason why I relate to God the way I do? It's not so. I do read scripture, and that's that's my that's my ultimate authority. But guess what? My lived experience and how I interpret that scripture is as well, right? Yeah. So I, yeah. I, and I and I know I keep emphasizing me being a black man, but that's huge. And so when I read scripture, the lens, my life lens, I start to see scripture through that lens, yeah. right? And then so it, that's it's huge, and it's not it's not it's not it's not a bad thing at all. It's not a bad thing but at the same time it's not it's not it's not the fullness of what it is it's my fullness it's my experience but there's not it's not it's not everything in totality and this is why you know the whole even you make me better it's because it's a part it's a part of the puzzle it's not the whole puzzle it's not the whole
0: picture that is so good so many things i want to rip off of there that's amazing like um it, it can't be ignored. It also can't be taken as gospel truth. Like lived experience is not an answer is not an argument against objective truth existing. It's simply an indicator that I have an approach toward objective truth. That's going to be different than someone else's path. And it's not, you. there aren't, there are broad categories we all fit into, you know, we're both male uh, you're black, I'm white, you know, there's those broad categories, but then even inside of all those, like you grew up in a, A pastor's family. You grew up with, you know, in and around foster care and adoptive situations. I also grew up in a in a pastor's home, but without the foster care element. So, like, my family dynamic was different than your family dynamic. You know, all these, all of those are relevant because, as you say, you have you're going to bring a depth of meaning when Paul writes about adoption, for instance, you're going to bring a, a level of perspective and insight that I can't bring having not experienced some of the things you've experienced. That doesn't mean I could never learn them because you make me better. I can now learn them, experience them through you. I loved what you said about your brother, how you said you couldn't convince him he wasn't a cross. Like, that's right. an insight from lived experience on a biblical truth of adoption that I now have because of you. You've made me better in that. So mm-hmm. it, it can be overemphasized if my lived, if I can't possibly get beyond my lived experience and there's no truth out there, it's just what you feel and what you've experienced that defines truth. But it can be grossly underemphasized too. If we just say like, no, there's one way to read the Bible and there's only one truth out there. It's like, well, no, we all need to have convictions and we should come to firm convictions, but we need to recognize that all of our reading, all of our knowing comes through the lens of our cultural grid. Mm-hmm. Um, Esau, Esau Macaulay's book, uh, Reading While well Black is one I read uh, just a couple months ago. And I felt like it was, you know, the whole idea there it's written to a black community, to the black community um, about the perspective of reading the scriptures and he, you know, for him reading while black, like that's, it brought so many insights, just simply hearing a man, uh, a trained minister who is black re- talking about reading the Bible was just different than my experience. So I just thought it was great. Sorry.
1: Go ahead. Talk about that. I was just writing it down. Cause I'm going to I'm going to read that book after I'm done yeah. with my presentation. Yeah. But, um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no books get read till that dissertation's done. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Um, But
1: so you, you even hit the, the nail on the head is it's not, it's not our lived experiences not gospel truth. It plays a part in how we interpret and how we view and how we live. But we also have to come into conversation and relationship, realizing that my lived experience is only a piece of the puzzle. It adds to the bigger picture mm. at the same time we cannot deny somebody's lived experience. Right. Come on. Yeah. And and I said this, even when I was talking about referencing me and Drew's conversation, we don't listen to argue. We listen to understand. When Mm -hmm. that understanding comes in, I embrace a piece of his lived experience and he embraces a piece of mine. And we put those pieces together, which gives us a clearer picture. Yeah. It gives us a clearer picture.
0: That's so good. That's so good. And, And I think it, it opens us up to the possibility that my lived experience gives me a better like let's say truth is somewhere in the middle and I, we're coming at it from different angles, mm-hmm. certain elements of truth. I might literally have a better vantage point to see them because of my experiences. And then also there are going to be things that you literally have a better, you, we, we can't deny our subjective experience of it, but if I hear yours and I listen and understand, I can come to a place of realizing like, well, wow, I think my lived experience is getting in the way of what is a better, for instance, interpretation of scripture or understanding of the truth of scripture, Mm -hmm. where then I can literally abandon, put aside what I intuitively think and instead start to think more like you, not just in that case, it's not even a shading of what I used to think. It's a full replacement because I've now seen your view as superior, you know, so Mm. it it can be as little as like, oh, that just colors out what I already knew all the way to, no, no, I was, I was dead wrong. You know, and that's where like almost rebuke or correction, you know, all scripture is profitable for we like instruction. We don't like the rebuke part of the profitability of scripture. <laughs> so um, yeah. Okay. And, and I want to actually mention, and ha- hear you talk about this as well. You talked about how God is not colorblind, you know, and he sees distinctions and celebrates difference. Um, and I know that it is very common in particular in white America, uh, post civil rights movement to to embrace color blindness as a, as a virtue. I mm-hmm. think many people trace it back to even part of the Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech, where he says, I have a dream that one day my four children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Mm-hmm. And I love that you mentioned, you said some people with good motives say, I don't see color. Talk to me about what could, why would that ever be well motivated, and what's the better alternative
1: um so there, so some people usually when people say that is usually when they're saying, like say for example, something happens, we believe somebody should be penalized for it, and we're like, they should not be, and we're like, it's because I'm black, no bro, I don't see color, it's not. He broke the law yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and we're like, no you I get it." I get what you're saying, but that's not the case.
0: Not right, right.
1: You know what It'd I mean? Unsee I reality. <laughs> yeah, the reality is, like even laws, and I know this might be a little controversial. Go for it, lean in. color, we, this is where systemic racism comes into play, whether you believe it exists mm-hmm. or not. Um, and so they mean, I, I believe they're, they're well-meaning by saying it, no bro, or no sis, or I don't see color. No, you do see color, we all see color, God sees color. You know, and it's important for us to see the color. Now, now we should all have character like like Dr. King says, I hope they're not judged by the color of this game, but the content of the character. But we also have to realize that Dr. King's dream is still coming to pass. It does not come to pass. Right. You know, for some reason yesterday, I was really triggered. You know, I felt like Dr. King was turning over in his grave with such this this volatile, environment that our culture is in and it's in and it's the dream has not been realized yet so Mm. the reality is some people are still judged um, by the content of their skin i've gotten some amazing feedback from preaching at northridge and one of the messages i got they were like hey i was real skeptical about your message but then at the end i left you know just really searching my own heart Wow. You know, give you reasons why they were skeptical, right? And, and part of that is my lived experience. And I was like, whoa, I appreciate the honesty, you know, yeah. here. So they, they, henceforth, we do see color, you mm-hmm. know, you know our, and, and it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Let's just all keep it 100. I'm like, yeah, you know, first thing I noticed about you was you're a black guy or you're a white guy. And, and that's okay because that's the, right. that's the fact, but that's not who I am in the totality. It's a yeah. part of me. It's a part of who I am but I yeah. do have, there's, there's more to my content than my color. Yes. That's a, that's
0: a good quote. Yeah, come on. I'm glad this is being recorded. <laughs> we can play that back. No. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, I, um, man, I, I'm trying to think of how I've processed over, you know, through colorblindness, even having embraced that in my, in my own heart at, at one time and even at one point recently. And I, again, I think as you say, it is well-intended and my experience was to say, I, grew, I went to school in a predominantly black high school and my, my colorblindness was an attempt to say, no, I don't immediately disregard or like, like or dislike you based on the color of your skin. That's what I typically would say by colorblind, meaning like I do my best to be objective or what I mean by that is I do my best to not assume things about you simply based on color. But the fact is, A, every person, white or black, sees similarity or dissimilarity to themselves that's inherent in human nature and isn't necessarily even wrong it's just like you look the same or different than me (laughs) like that's just you know whatever just like i would notice anything else about a person um so certainly noticing isn't bad noticing and then choosing to act poorly is the problem and that's why we, we need to say i i do notice in fact not only do i notice I then take intentional actions based on what I notice to love you well in the skin you're in rather than in my skin, assuming that you think just like I do, that you want compliments just like I want them, that you, whatever, anything, just the way I would, I say, this person's wearing a Yankees hat. I'm probably not going to lead with how much I love the Red Sox. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm going to lead with something relevant to them. Well, that same thing could be true as I I see and notice love differences and then converse with this person appropriately
1: yeah, you, you 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 stated it perfectly Anna, and that's
0: that's it it's so
1: the
0: uh well thank you it's very kind because <laughs> i don't know but um i i think i want to say one more thing about this but it makes me a little bit nervous i'll go for it anyway i go feel like one of the things that has sometimes motivated A person like me, I'm not going to speak for all white people, just like wouldn't ask you to speak for all black people or whatever. I'm just going to say from my own experience, Mm -hmm. sometimes I think the reason that I might avoid mentioning, for instance, you know, that someone was black is just like in politeness. I might not know. I might not mention some other aspect of a person in part, in particular, if I felt that that characteristic was less than ideal. So if someone had some kind of a disability, for instance, I probably wouldn't mention that as their first defining characteristic because I wouldn't want them to be only that. I'm, I'm trying to elevate their value by not labeling them based on their limitation, for instance. But the more I interrogate that assumption, the more I realize I'm placing blackness in a category of inferiority and so what i think that ends up doing for me even though again that's one of those awkward well-intentioned things and what it takes is uh self-reflection and a little bit of realizing like wait a second again let's run some scenarios Would i mention that the person was white um what i mentioned that the person was black well if i w- if i wouldn't feel weird about mentioning that they were white but i would feel weird about mentioning they were black i get they're like well i want to be culturally sensitive but at the same time it's like it, it has taken me reading books and interacting with my Black friends who, who of course, they don't mind labeling themselves as Black. Yeah. This is fat, yeah. true about who I am. And I'm, I love the fact that I'm Black. You know, like, and, right. and I think that that like, oh, of course, why would I think of this as something that would be like offensive to label yeah. some, someone as something that's true of them? So it's,
1: yeah. it's something that adds value to us, you know, yes. just like I'm saying, like, so if you were if you had to describe to somebody, if they're going to meet somebody at the mall, right? Mm-hmm. and you're saying they're gonna have on blue jeans a yellow shirt and that's right it. I mean, like there's a lot of people with blue jeans yellow shirt give me more <laughs> okay he's a black man he has this type of hair blue eyes right. brown eyes so on and so forth so these are descriptors that are a part of who we are it, it, and it mm-hmm. definitely i feel like it adds value to us you know what i mean and, and it just mm-hmm. and it's a part of who we are absolutely I mean? and even there's even you know, even some people in, that are that are disabled, if you try to describe them without their disability, like, yo, it's OK. It's not like I don't know that I'm in a wheelchair. You can say, you know, the lady in the wheelchair, you know, got the locks. Dah, 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 dah. It's a yeah. descriptive. It's, a, it's It helps to describe who I am, part of
0: who I am. And at times the attempts to, you know, talk around things to label them slightly differently. I've even learned this about deaf culture. I remember because in Henrietta, you know, with Henrietta campus in particular, as we were providing interpreting and we still do at the Webster campus, and I just don't oversee that part of our church anymore. But I was, I was surprised to discover, I was looking for ways around saying deaf until I started talking with deaf people and realized Or even, you know, folks who are interpreters whatever and saying like, no, no, deaf is, that's the word. Like they are deaf and they're okay with that. That's what they, that's who they are. That's the way they live their life. They're proud of this reality. This is not, they're not looking for you to say something else that's true about them. This is true of who they are and they embrace that. So recognizing that it doesn't it doesn't take away someone's dignity to mention who they are in the fullness of who they are Um, and i can't love them and minister to them and be their friend without fully acknowledging all that they are as a person
1: exactly
0: That's it. so um all right Man, we could, like I said, we could go a long time, but I want let, to let's wrap things up here. Is there anything that you wanted to say on Sunday or even feedback that you've gotten since Sunday that you feel like, you know, you went from Sunday right into, uh, you know, Dr. King Day on Monday. You've probably gotten some emails or texts or whatever since then. So is there anything you want to leave us with Um until hopefully pray until next time we get to get to have you? <laughs> Yeah, uh,
1: I think one thing I want to leave with North, we just continue to champion the cause of diversity and unity. Mm. Um, one thing that continues to stick out to me, even from the message, is that unity does not mean uniformity. Yes. And our differences shouldn't be the thing that separates us, it should be the point of connection and celebration. We see our difference, we celebrate our difference, and we could come together in spite of our difference. And so that's going to be a message that's going to be so necessary in 2021, um, even as we, you know, we know the state of our, our our nation. And so we have to be to we have to be the ones to demonstrate this this um, this this kingdom principle of unity and diversity. Yeah. And uh, I've been getting a ton of great feedback just saying how they love the conversation. They love um the presentation and the reason why the presentation is so important is because it was presented in a way that was not demeaning it wasn't confrontational and, I, and the reason why i did it this way is because i want people to know that these conversations don't always have to end badly mm-hmm. they can it can be approached in a healthy beautiful and genuine way um and we can have these conversations and leave all on the same page and still feeling better about each other and feeling actually better about ourselves You know, because after Sunday, I was like, man, you know, even though I was the one giving the message, I was able to really evaluate my own heart standing Mm -hmm. in front of I stand in front of a bunch of black people every day. I got a few white people in my congregation (laughs) and I have a lot of Latinos and Latinas in my congregation. But standing in front of a a majority white congregation and sharing what the Lord has laid on my heart and being comfortable in that. Right. Mm -hmm. Not having to change my approach. And I have to I didn't holler. Like I probably would do at my church, but I didn't have to change myself to appease anybody. And so being okay with who I am and how I am in front and wherever I go. And that's that's all of us as the church. Mm -hmm. Um, We are the church, you know, Mm -hmm. black church, white church. We understand that dynamic. But at the end of the day, we are all the church of the living God. That's right. And I love
0: that Paul wrote to the church in Rome or the church in Corinth. And we are the church in Rochester. No, we're not all the same local church, but we are the church and connections like this remind us of that reality.
1: And do you know what Sunday did? Um, Sunday reminded me of what building a whole city looks like. When we start to share our pulpits with each other, that's Mm. huge. Mm. That's not something small. Because we know they say Sunday is one of the most segregated hours. And when we start to share our pulpits with with, with one another, what that says is we're putting our little minor differences aside and we're going to come together around the gospel, around the truth of Jesus. And we're going to love one another and we're going to show this city what a whole and healed church looks like. And I think we're on
0: the way to doing that. Absolutely. And Melvin, you make me better, brother. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. And you you make me better too. (laughs) come on and i want to uh i want to end it but when we're done i want to i want to take a moment let's pray for each other's churches and you know what actually let's keep the thing running i don't care how long it goes can we do it i want to pray for you you pray for you pray for me and we'll we'll end i'll i'll go you close when you say amen we'll end this thing all right cool let's do it lord we love you thank you for uh the crosses for their beautiful family for their ministry um Inside and outside of the church walls. Man, I don't know of really anybody in our city doing as much both inside and outside of the church as as the crosses. So thank you for their ministry. Thank you for their leadership. I pray that you would bless uh, Glory House with all their next steps and growth, that they would continue to be um, proclaiming the truth uh, here in our city that so desperately needs it. I pray for Melvin and Pathways to Peace, that they would be peacemakers, that there would be uh, violence prevented, that there would be families healed and opportunities given even to those who are in the most vulnerable moments of their life, that they would find a turning place and hope in the hope of Jesus and a new path um, through Pathways to Peace. So thank you for um, Melvin and the, his leadership there. And I just ask that we would all be better and more like Christ because of our connections to each other, even with people who don't look like us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I just
1: thank you also for Aaron. I thank you, Father, for even in 2020, his openness to understand and to learn how it's been such a breath of fresh air. And God, I just thank you right now, Father, that... Um, these conversations and these relationships have been a gateway to build stronger, authentic relationships. And God, I just thank you right now, Father, for Northridge and, and everything that they are doing and building in our city. We thank you, Father, for their heart of generosity, for their heart of love, for their heart of service. And Father, we thank you right now, Father, that you will continue to um, be in their midst in that Um, They would continue to advance um, your name and your kingdom in our city. I thank you, Father, for their pastors, for their leadership team, for their their congregants. And I thank you that you introduced me to another part of our family, the body of Christ. And God, we just give your name, glory, and honor. We thank you, Father, for our city. This is the place you've called us to do ministry. And Father, we thank you right now, Father, that we would represent you well. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: All right, man. Thanks for taking the time. We're going to end this thing. We'll see ya. I appreciate it so much.